Romans 8, 28 through 31. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, full of grace and mercy, thank you for the traveling mercies extended to Pastor Bill and Miss Lynn. Put a hedge about him, sharpen his mind, discern his speech, and fill his heart with the Holy Spirit. Be with Pastor and Pam, the praise team, elder board, nursery workers, our local and national leaders, especially our president. Please guide him. Let your name receive all glory, honor, and praise through this sermon. We ask these things and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn back to that passage that Dr. Pasolacqua read, Romans chapter 8. And as he said, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I like to try to shed a little additional light on it this morning. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, and we know that all things, not just some things, not just most of the things, not just even, not even just the good things, we know that all things work together. Some translate it. God is working in all things. All things work together. They look like they're going this way and that way and the other way, but God's making them work together. They work together for our good. Now, you need to know this, that this epistle of Paul to the Romans is written to believers, it's written to Christians. You can't claim any of this if you're not in Christ. But you can claim all of it if you are. Amen. We know that all things work together for good. He says. To those. Who. Are what? To those that love God. To them who are the called. According. To his purpose. May the Lord. Out of his blessing. To the reading of his word. Let. God's people say praise the Lord. You may be seated. I have taught our people at Grace Church that this is a this is a hymn book. H I M. It's about him. It's about him. It's all about him. He's my prophet. He's my priest. He's my king. He's my lawyer. He's my righteousness. He's my strength. Without him, I can do nothing. This book is not about Israel. It mentions Israel. This book is not really about just the church. It mentions the church. He is the theme of this book. And when you read the Bible, don't just go trying to collect facts, theological facts, but look for him. 
Charles Spurgeon once had some young preacher boys lined up, and he said, I'm going to give you five minutes to prepare a little message, and then I want you to present it, and then I'm going to critique it. I'm going to criticize it. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And they did that. And one young man came over to Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, if you don't know who he is, he was an English preacher called the Prince of Preachers, died in 1892. And he went over and he said, Pastor, I could tell that something wasn't right in my presentation. He said, did I speak clearly? The pastor said, you spoke very clearly. He said, did I make my points well? He said, you made your point very well. I could follow you. Very easily, he said, well, what was wrong? I could tell something was wrong. What was wrong? He said, there was no Christ in your message. He said, but Christ wasn't in the text that I used. Spurgeon said, Christ is in every text, and it's your job to find it. Okay? I'm not a religious person. Religion has to do with do's and don'ts and ups and downs and all that. I am in love with a person. I want you to listen to this now. Listen to this little poem, little phrase that a man wrote. For every pain we must bear, there is a reason. For every falsehood that is said, for every tear that is shed, there is a reason. For every grief, for every trial, for every weary, lonely mile, there is a reason. We will trust our Lord as we should, knowing that all this will work for our good, because our God is the reason. In 1947, which was a long time before many of you were ever born, a 21-year-old man named Henry Thomas Mahan became the song leader and the assistant pastor of the Pollard Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky. That church, the Pollard Baptist Church, was the largest Southern Baptist Church in the eastern part of the state. The pastor was named Don Wells, and Don Wells wanted to have a meeting. He wanted to have a two-week meeting, but he didn't know where to look or who to ask. So he asked a fellow named Dr. Charlie Stevens, who was a school principal. Dr. Stevens, do you know anybody? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, I would recommend <clears throat> that you have Ralph Barnett. Ralph Barnett, who is he? He said, well, he's billed as the evangelist who is different. Brother, he was different. And so they had that meeting, the scheduled that meeting with Barnett, and when Ralph Barnett was introduced, and it was a large church, and they had a balcony like this, and the balcony was filled, the balcony was across this way, filled, church was packed. 21-year-old Henry Thomas Mahan was right down on the first row. And you never knew what Ralph Barnard was going to do. He wore his glasses like that. You know. And he stood up there in the pulpit. You wondered if he even knew where he was. 
And all of a sudden, he looked right down at this 21-year-old assistant to the pastor, song leader, Henry Mahan, and he said, son, and Henry looked around, you talk, yes, I'm talking to you. He said, do you know Romans 8, 28? And Henry said, yes, sir, I do. He said, stand up and let's hear it. So Henry stood up and he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And he sat down. Brother Barnard stood there and he said, is that all it says? No, sir, that's not all it says. Well, stand up, son, let's hear all of it. So he stood up and he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. And suddenly, as if a new energy had been infused into him, Ralph Barnard said, purpose, purpose, purpose. He said, son, God never does anything by accident. He does it on purpose. He said, if you will learn that, if you will learn that, he said, not only will the gospel open up to you, but he said, all of the word of God will open up to you. God never does anything by accident. He does it on purpose. And later that evening, the pastor and the evangelist with some other people were going out to eat. And they walked past Henry, who was sitting in the hall with his Bible open. And they said, Henry, would you like to go out with us? He said, no, sir. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to search this Bible for the word purpose. I'm going to see what it says about it. Now, was that evangelist right? Well, let's start at the beginning. When the Lord Almighty created the heavens and the earth, did he do it accidentally or did he do it on purpose? Did he determine that he would create a universe, a cosmos on purpose? That he would create galaxies populated with millions and millions of stars and planets, that he would create a habitable planet called earth lighted by millions of stars and a moon by night and a sun by day. Is the universe an accident? I say he created it on purpose. The earth rotates on its axis. Doesn't feel like it, but it rotates on its axis at a thousand miles an hour at the equator. What would happen if the earth rotated at only 100 miles an hour? Just for starters, days and nights would be 10 times longer. Every 24-hour day period would lengthen to 240-hour days. How'd you like to have an 80-hour work shift? <laughs> you going to work now? Yeah, when you're getting off, about three days. <laughs> what would happen to our vegetation? What would happen to the grass? What would happen to the trees? What would happen to the crops? Everything would either burn up during the day or freeze during the night. Is it an accident? that the length of our days is perfectly suited for humans, for animals, and for vegetables? Is it an accident? 
or was it designed that way on purpose? Our sun sustains life on earth and it has a surface temperature of about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that an accident that the earth is just far enough away from the sun to be warmed by it and not burned up? The moon is 186,000 miles from the earth. Suppose it was only 50,000 miles away from the earth. Would any change change? You bet it would. Twice a day all the oceans would cover the earth. Tides would be so large that we'd all drown. Is that by accident? All the planets move in their orbits and they move in perfect harmony. Ever wonder why they don't crash together? The harmonious relationship of the planets is perfectly uniform to ensure continuous safety for those of us who live here on the earth. Was that by design? Was that by purpose? Or was that by accident? The exact number, weight, and measure in every part of everything that you see in the heavens guarantees our security here on earth. The air we breathe, 99% of it is oxygen and nitrogen, 21 parts of it and 78 parts of it. The remaining 1% composed of all kinds of things, carbon dioxide, hydrogen, argon, helium, krypton, neon, all these things. So just so we can breathe and breathe without laboring. Did you realize that a child has 60,000 miles of blood vessels? And a human being, a grown adult, has 100,000 miles. You know that there's 100 trillion cells in your body? That your body is made up of 206 bones, 600 muscles, and 78 organs? That you have a circulatory system, you have a respiratory system, you have a digestive system, you have a skeletal system, your bones, you have a muscular system, you have a nervous system, you have a reproduction system. Is all of that by accident or by design? You, my friend, as the Bible says, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Carefully and wonderfully made. Now, did God create man and put him on the earth on purpose? Or are we just the result of evolutionary accidents? Are we merely the products of chance? Random mutations? Or did the Almighty God create us on purpose? I, I wandered down in the basement this morning to Dr. Pasilakwa's class. Nice class, large class. You ought to make yourself available to go down there. And I noticed he had a piece of paper there on the front. And one of the things that said on that paper is basically this. I'm paraphrasing. It says that God prepared a savior before there ever was a sinner. Did you know that? There was a savior before there was a sinner. What does that mean? It means God knew that when he put man on the earth, he knew he was going to fall. All of that was by design. All, was that, all of that was done on purpose. Now listen, this is where we get personal. 
I don't know your life story. I don't know where you came from. I don't know where you were born. I don't know who your parents are. I don't know about your growing up years, but I know this. Nobody is born into this world by accident. Oh, you say, Brother Sasson, you know, I don't even know who my mom and dad are. Well, that's all right. You're here on purpose. It's somebody bigger than your mom and dad. We were telling Dr. Apostle Aqua and Lydia last night about how Lynn and I met. Her dad was in the radio business. and He came down to southwest Georgia. To He had been hired by a fellow who had an AM radio station and wanted to have an FM radio station. That's back in the days when nobody had FM stations. And she came down to Georgia to visit her dad. And while she was there, we met. And as I stand here today, we have a son 54 years old. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> 54 years old. We, we've, been, we've been together since the last century. Like I told a couple one time that came to us from some marriage counseling, they'd been married about 30-something years, and they were having trouble, and I was telling them they needed to stay together, and then I said this, I said, besides, who would have either one of you? You better stick with who you got. Who would have either one of you? Now listen to me. Nothing with our God is by accident. Nothing. I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm not going to have you turn to a lot of passages, but turn to Ephesians. That's another favorite book, I'm sure, here. Chapter 1. Over just a few pages. You got First and Second Corinthians after Romans. And then you're going to come into Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And again, this is written to Christians. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, you probably know this, but the first 14 verses of chapter 1 is one sentence. It's broken up by semicolons and colons and all that, but Paul started talking about the grace of God and he just couldn't quit for 14 verses. So the first 14 verses, one sentence. So when he gets to verse 11, look what he says. He says, we have obtained an inheritance, and this inheritance was predestinated. And it was predestinated according to the what? Purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Guess what? If you're saved, God saved you on purpose. A woman came to Ralph Barnard, the same guy I mentioned earlier one day. Brother Barnard, I've been listening to you preach. I'm having problems with some of the things you say. My experience has been so varied and so, you know, I just, I can't reconcile it. He said, well, sister, do you want to fight or do you want some answers? No, she said, I don't want to fight. I want some answers. He said, all right, are you saved? And she said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'm saved. He said, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my hope. Christ is my salvation. I'm leaning on nothing and no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, did Christ save you all by himself or did you help him? 
Oh, no, she said, he saved me all by himself. He said, all right, I just have one question for you. Did it save you accidentally or did it save you on purpose? She said, I think I see it. I think I see it. Now, my friends, listen. The fact that God is sovereign, this is very, very important, does not rule out your responsibility for your will. You've got a will. You've got a will. And I'm going to show you this in just a moment. But he says here in Ephesians 1.11 that those who are in Christ have an inheritance on purpose. He says this inheritance was predestinated. He said this predestinated inheritance is according to God's purpose. And he says that the purpose of God, we, we quit reading that in verse 11, is involved in all things. Look at that. According to the purpose of him who works most things. Works all things. After the counsel of his own will. He works all things. God's not asking for my permission. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. The whole of what we believe, the whole of what we stand for, the whole of where we need to come to is simply stated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he taught his disciples to learn to say, not my will, but thine be done. Have you ever thought of it like that? See, salvation is bowing to his will. I got... Two hours sleep last night. I'm surprised I don't have any voice this morning to sing. Two hours sleep. And I know I know the Lord did it on purpose. I know it's for my good. Henry Mahan, the fellow I mentioned, is 21 years old. I was with him in a meeting once in Alabama. And Henry was preaching on God being in charge of everything. He said, the Lord's in charge of everything. He said, when you drive down the road and the car kicks up the dust, every particle of dust falls exactly where it's supposed to fall. And he was going on. And about that time, a wasp flew up his leg and stung him. And he grabbed his leg and he looked up and he said, what was that for? <laughs> I tell you, when you start saying God's in charge, you're going to find out in a little while, if you live a little while, whether you believe that or not. The safest place to be is bowed down to his will. That's the safest place to be. If we can just learn that and quit fighting about, well, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, I don't know about the other. I don't understand life, and I've been here a while. You know what? I've learned that... I, this little, not my will, but thine be done, has taken the guesswork out of all of these things for me. I've just learned to say, as it says in Ephesians 1.11, he works in all things after the counsel of his own will. My wife's dad went to Georgia to build a radio station, but he went to Georgia to build a radio station so she could come down and visit her dad so we could meet and so we could get married. And so we could have a, a son. He was behind all of that. And he's behind everything in your, in your 
life too. The eternal counsel of God is the expression of the sovereign will of God. If the plan of God is according to his, let's look at it again, Ephesians 1.11, according to the counsel of his will. Now that counsel has to do with like some folks getting together and planning some things. What this tells us is before, way back in eternity, God had a counsel. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were in attendance. And it was determined before the foundation of the world what would happen in time, space, and history. Remember this. You know the word history? History? It's his story. His story. His story. His eternal counsel and purpose and will is worked out in, in history. That we must understand what the end of the purpose of God is. That is, what is the purpose of the purpose of God? The purpose of the purpose of God is to bring glory to himself, but particularly bring glory to his son. Let me just quote this for you. It's in Romans. It's Romans eleven thirty-six. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. This is what it says. It says, of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Everything is of him. He's the source of all things. Everything is through him. All that he has purposed in his eternal counsels he brings to pass through the second person of the Godhead, the Messiah, Jesus. And everything is to him. It's for his glory. The end of the purpose of God the purpose of the purpose of God is the glory of God. Secondly, now I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts. I know you've seen these passages. Let's turn back to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 3. And then I'm going to be through here in just a minute. Acts chapter 3. I want you to understand, as I have said already several times, that people get in a fuss and a fight over wills. Well, I've got, a, I've got a free will, they say. They really don't know what they're saying. Your will is really not free. I'll tell you how free your will is. Why don't you determine, why don't you will that you won't eat till next week at this time? This afternoon, your will is going to give in to your belly. You ain't got no free will. Your belly is more powerful than your will. You see what I'm saying? There's only one being that has an absolute free will, and that's God Almighty. Amen. There's nothing that coerces him. There's nothing that forces him. There's nothing that makes him. You can't set up a circumstance to cause him to change his mind about anything. He is absolutely free to do according to his will, but we're not. We're free within the confines of our nature. Let me ask you this. If a dog were coming down the aisle right here and I said, I see a dog in this church. You'd say, well, Brother Sass, I don't know if he's a dog or not. Let's wait and see if he barks. <laughs> and here's what I'm asking you. Does the dog become a dog when he barks or does he bark because he's a dog? 
Does a person become a sinner when they sin, or do they sin because they're sinners? You need to learn that. A duck doesn't become a duck when it quacks. It quacks because it's a duck. And we sin because we're sinners. But I want you, I want you to realize this. You've got a will. And you can use your will. You can make your decisions. The day when you eat, you can decide whether you want a McDonald's or whether you want a steak or whether you want a hot dog or whatever. You, you've got a will. But here's what I want you to know. God's got a will too. God's got a will. And listen, by nature, when I came into this world for many years in my life, I wanted my way, my will. I didn't want God's way and God's will. And so as Barnard used to say, he said, yes, sir. He said, you got a will. You've got a will and God has got a will. And he said, you want your way and God wants his way. And he said, there's a battle of wills between your will and the will of God. And he said, you better pray that he wins because if you win, the prize is hell. Huh? If you win, the prize is hell. Say, I don't want to win. I don't want my will. I don't want my way. We've all gone out of the way. His way. I don't want my works. I want the works of Christ on the cross. You see what I'm saying? All right, look here in Acts. And then I'm going to close. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter now the apostles were very excited and they'd been preaching everywhere in the name of Jesus. And so the Jewish rabbis, the doctors of the law, the scribes, they came out and they said, we don't want you preaching and talking about this fellow Jesus. Now we don't want to hear any more of it. And they said, well, whether it's right to listen to you more than to God, you can be the judge of that. But we can't help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they threatened them. And they said, now, you go back to your group of folks. Here, here it is now. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went back to their own company. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They prayed, although like they were one person, and they said, Lord, you're God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, you see, they said, Lord, you're God. We got a friend in our congregation, Dr. Nelson Foster, the medical doctor. Years ago, Nelson was having some problems. I'm almost through now. Just hold on. Nelson was having some problems, and he sat down with a friend of his, and he said, I want to tell you about these problems. And Nelson, a very smart guy. So after he talked to him, his friend said, well, Nelson, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to tell you something I think it'll help. He said, all right, what is it? He said, Nelson, there's just one God, and you're not him. Huh? There's one God, and you're not him. So here it says, the Lord, he is God. Watch it now. 
He made everything. He made the earth, the heaven, the sea, and all that in them is. Verse 25, by the mouth of your servant David, he said, why did the heathen rage? Now that's a quote from Psalm 2. Go back and read Psalm 2. It starts out that way. Why did the heathen rage? Why did the people imagine a vain thing? What were they imagining? They were imagining that they could overthrow God's will and have their own will. So he's quoting that. He's quoting Psalm 2. Watch this now. Verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It, it is true, he says, verse 27. It is true against your holy child Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, that's the Romans, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Look at the 28th verse. To do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now, let me say this. You know Herod. You've heard about Herod in the Bible. I'm sure they've told you. He was a king. And uh, he hated Christians. And he was afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they took Jesus to Herod to see what he would do with him. And they took him to Pilate to see what he would do with him. And then the Roman government, were the, they were the ones that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of Israel, the Jewish leaders stood up and said, crucify him. He said, well, I got a robber over here and a thief. I, I, uh, why don't we crucify him? No, they said, crucify Jesus and let the thief and the robber go. His name was Barabbas. Bar means son of Abbas. He was the son of Abbas, Bar-Abbas. Peter is called Simon Bar-Jonah. He's the Simon, the son of Jonah. Now notice that Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, they were all gathered together. What were they gathered together to do? What they wanted to do. And what did they do? They crucified Christ and they put him to death. But the next verse says they did what God had determined before to be done. My dear friends, listen to me. I'm going to give you an English lesson. Remember when you learned in your English class, did you learn the difference between can and may? If you're like me, when I was a little boy in third grade, I raised my hand. Yes, Bill. I said, can I go get some water? Yes, you can. I stood up, she said, but you may not have a seat. What was, it, what was that about? When you say, can I, you're talking about ability. Do you have the ability? Do you have the strength? Do you have the knowledge? Do you know where the restroom is or the water fountain is? Of course you have the ability, but I'm not giving you permission. That's the difference between can and may. Now listen to me. All of us, all of us have permission to come to Christ. You got permission. But what does the Bible say in John 6, 37? Oh, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Do you find an interest in your heart 
for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you find any kind of interest in your soul? Say, I'd like to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know what it is these people are talking about. I want to have a relationship with him. And let me tell you what, if you have that desire in your heart, it's because the Lord is working in you. And perhaps it is to draw you. And when he calls you, and this will absolutely be the last thing I'll say. When he calls you, he will call you with what we call an effectual call. What's an effectual call? Well, you got a bunch of kids playing on the floor. And dad is trying to read the newspaper. And these children keep praying. They're disturbing dad. So he said, boys, settle down. And they just keep playing. And he says, boys, settle down. <laughs> and they keep playing. And he said, boys. That's the effectual call. <laughs> That's the effectual call. When he says it that way, he got your attention, didn't he? Uh, I can stand up here all day long and tell you to come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ, leave on Jesus. But when he calls you, he'll get the job done. Amen. Are you interested? Are you interested in Christ? You may come. You may come. But you may find out that you can't come. You may find out you don't have the ability. You don't have the desire. You don't have the interest. Pray that God will give you an interest in his son. And then you'll know that your life here is not in vain. You're here for a purpose. You're here on purpose. And that purpose is to glorify the Lord and to enter into his army to serve, serve him. I told Dr. Apostle Lockwell and his wife, everybody is in the ministry that's a Christian. See, the ministry is not just up here. If you're, if you're in the Lord Jesus, if you believed on him, you're in the ministry. You are to serve him and to glorify him wherever you are, however you can. We all have different abilities. We all have different um, experiences. We have different talents. All of these things just brighten the corner where you are. Now remember this now, don't forget this, all things work together for good. Everything you've experienced in your life, if you come to Christ, you can look back and you'll be able to see the hand of God in it. It all worked for my good and it worked for his glory. To those who love the Lord, how did they come to love the Lord? To those who are the called, according to his purpose. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that honors your word. We pray, Lord, that today the Holy Spirit may come and work in our hearts that we may be brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.